I'm Kate Daniels. The U.S. has been called incarceration nation because we have one of the highest rates of imprisonment in the world, even ahead of some third world countries. I feel we can see it's not been the deterrent that people thought that it would be. What it is is costing us in terms of dollars, but more importantly, it's also costing us in terms of people power, families, and communities. So let's meet attorney Joe Maroney, who can help us to get a better understanding of this and guide us through a recent study that calls for a 40% cut in the prison population. Mr. Joseph Marone, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate your availability and giving us, from a legal perspective, some uh uh, ideas and you know reflections on what a, a recent report that was calling for a forty percent cut in prison populations should and does mean to us. So, for you as an attorney, what's your initial reaction to this? Well, I, I think it's something that uh, that's called for. Um, there's all kinds of facets right now in the system. Um, obviously, we are overpopulated in the prison system. Um, there becomes a major cost factor uh, on, on the state level, um, and there also may, becomes a major cost factor on the federal level, depending on whether it's a federal-state prison. So, so by reducing <laughs> the prison population, I think that is uh, something that economically makes a lot of sense, but then you've got to balance the effects it has on society. Exactly. And so... Uh when we think about society, when the population here is, oh, there could be a release, and I don't know that it would be instantly 40% of the population comes out of prisons, but what is your sense? Does the public feel threatened by this uh, prospect? Well, listen, there's always that perception when you're letting convicted felons out of jail that automatically they're dangerous, and that's not necessarily true. I think you have to do a balance and analyze, you know, who you're letting out. Obviously, you start with the category of, you know, first offenders, and and then you start with the, and then you go to with the crime that was committed. I mean, when you when you deal with nonviolent crimes and you deal with first time offenders, I mean, they're the ones that are probably at the front of the line and more likely to be given the opportunity for a reduced sentence to let up to let out. And usually, the first offenders at least um, are the ones that. Uh, you can analyze to see whether or not, you know, they're going to, what they call is recidivism, which is a convicted, uh, someone who's convicted who is likelihood to, to recommit other crimes. Now, if those individuals obviously show a, a pattern that uh, they're, they're, they're going to lead a law-abiding life, obviously, then they're the ones that you're going to continue to want to stay with. I mean, violent criminals, criminals <laughs> that are repeat offenders, they're the ones that would go on the bottom of the list, the ones that you would you know, less likely want to let out or at least not want to reduce their sentence. And so we are talking about felony convictions of which there are both violent and nonviolent types, correct? Yeah, listen, you get involved with, 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 with drugs and certain, fraud, uh, you know, crimes of fraud. They're all felonies versus, you know, you get involved with violence, you know, like assaults, ag assaults, assaults with a weapon, ultimately you get involved with homicide. Um, you know, that that's a whole different scenario. So, you know, you have to, it's a balance. And, and I think what the system has to do is try to analyze, you know, categorize the, the, the prison population and then, you know, make choices from there. I mean, that, that would make most sense. But, but doing this whole procedure, obviously, I think is very, very smart because it's costing us lots and lots of money, again, on the state and federal level, not only 
um, you know, because uh, you would have to not only build more prisons, but the prisons itself. Remember, we're we're caring for individuals. You know, they they have to be fed. We have an obligation to feed them, so they get three meals a day. Yeah, they they have health issues, and and inmates with obviously longer sentences that are going to live the duration of their life in, in these prisons. They begin to have um, a lot of medical issues, and they need treatment, and they need. Um, all kinds of medical support, and the cost numbers are, are astronomical. So, you know, that's the whole thought process in, in trying to figure out how to deal with these, these issues. So if we reflect back in time, we really see a, a huge jump in the po- uh, prison population dating back, I think it's around 1980, isn't it so? Yeah, I mean, what happened was, you know, the government started passing these mandatory minimums especially when it came to, to drugs and certain violence. Um, and, I, you know, crack cocaine uh, became a big issue in our society. And these mandatory uh, minimum sentences, five, ten years, sometimes life, for, you know, possessions of, the, of this drug. Um, and, you know, possession was rampant. So obviously, you know, to be, to be caught uh, possessing crack cocaine and putting you in this category it didn't take much, and obviously you, you you were limited with choices on a plea bargain, and you were given these long sentences, and that's what it also kind of attributed to this increase in uh, the prison population. And so, what we're finding is, yes, these were probably largely drug crimes that occurred. Do you feel that there has been some kind of change then, um, or? Have we really seen an increase, and this could actually just totally get out of hand in terms of people uh, being incarcerated for that offense? Well, I mean, we've seen a change. I know the President Obama enacted, I think it was like 2010, um, uh, the Fair Sentence Act, which um, <laughs> demanitorized a lot of these uh, drug offenses, especially came with crack cocaine, and reduced a lot of sentences, which I think was justified. You know, and, and, and again, you know, you get involved with, with drug offenses. There's a whole litany of issues that kind of surround it. Um, you know, first you talk about, you know, the, the person, is he, you know, obviously, is he a drug salesperson or is he a drug user? Well, the flip side of being a drug user is, um, you know, drug use also perpetuates other crimes, such as theft, robbery, and so forth, just so they can come up with ways to whatever it takes to get their hands on monies to satisfy their, their addictions. Then, you know, but that in itself, you know, each individual has to be analyzed, and, and some people are subject to treatment. And again, treatment is probably, um, you know, works for some people, and some people it doesn't. But, you know, not having people in jail and having them go to treatment obviously is probably more cost effective and makes more sense, <laughs> you know, overall. And I think that's, you know, that's the balance and, and the thought process that goes through all this. Which is critically important, and it, it's part of um, it. It feels to me it's part of what we're talking about in terms of the cost factor. Yes, there are those, um, what, like hard costs in terms of building the buildings and providing food and care for the inmates. But the fact that they are not part of the population that is contributing uh, to society, having a job, supporting their families, supporting themselves, that's a pretty important fact to be looking at in terms of cost, isn't it? Yeah, listen, you know, you got to analyze the individuals. I mean, some of these people. But the bigger concern is, is to be able, if, if you're going to reduce the prison population, you know, who, who are you letting out? 
And if people have historically have a criminal record, have evidence of, of repeating, you know, various crimes, um, especially when it comes to violence, those, those, those individuals, there's no question, you know, listen, they shouldn't be let out. Um, because historically, most of those people go back and, and you know, they, the likelihood of them committing another crime is, is very high. People, you know, obviously with, with, with addictions or first-time offenders, you know, there's programs, there, there, there's so much out there where I think, you know, they would uh, respond to them uh, in a great way. And I, I think that, you know, when you put them back, you know, let them, you know, have their way back in society, which I think is, is only the rightful thing to do. I mean, I think the bigger concern with, you know, incarcerating people is to keep society free from, from violence and, and from bad people. And, you know, but in the same instance, when you start enacting these laws and you, you kind of, you know, force these long prison terms, um, you know, are you set up to deal with this increase in prison population? And, uh, you know, real, not realizing, you know, you, you start just convicting, 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 and you realize, geez, we don't have enough, enough space for these, uh, for these people. And then you start to realize the cost, and, you know, that's where it gets out of hand, and I think that's why... They're taking a hard look at this and trying to reduce the population, which, again, makes sense. And so I think what we need to realize is that there truly is a a benefit to society all around in terms of not having a high incarceration rate. We should not be feeling threatened that uh, these are going to be violent offenders that would be released. It's people who have had, I guess, do you call it soft crime? Well, nonviolent starts off, you know, nonviolent drug offenses. Um, you know, when you, you, you have those people and you have, and I think the big word is first-time offenders. I mean, first-time offenders, you know, sometimes people get themselves into a situation and uh, they make a mistake and, and, you know, probably will never do it again. And uh, those persons, I think, have to be looked at. And I think they should be obviously given leniency or an opportunity to, uh, you know, rehabilitate themselves quickly and, and be, you know, stay in society. People that, that commit violence, especially violence that's premeditated, you know, thought out, you get involved with robberies, um, where there's victims, you know, those individuals, obviously, at first offenders, you know, it's a balance, but, uh, you know, a lot of those people that are, are uh, second offenders and repeat offenders, I, I think that's where, you know, prisons are made for, and I think those, those individuals have to remain incarcerated. Now, here's something that I think is a challenge as a person is released from prison is being able to then find gainful employment and therefore be a contributing member of society. We we sometimes seem to have um, a real hard edge about that in terms of hiring someone who has a record on their uh, resume, if you want to call it that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you as an employer, sometimes you you take a second look and you say, do I really want to put a convicted felon in my employment? But the same instance, it, it becomes a real difficult situation for people, like I said, that are first-time offenders that happen to get themselves into a bad situation that really, really, you know, would probably not do it again. They become tattooed or labeled, and, and, it, and it, it creates a situation where they're not employable and they can't earn any money. And, and, and the, the, the perpetual problem is, well, now you got fines to pay, you got restitution or whatever your parole may have. You have to try to, you say, geez, you, you want the person to be functional in society. You want them to be able to pay their bills to try to live their life, but they can't get a job. 
So they say, well, if I can't get a job, what am I supposed to do? And it's, it's a terrible cycle, <laughs> which I think the government has to be more proactive in analyzing, you know, people that are convicted felons when they get out, whether, you know, a lot of states don't have, don't allow expungement. People have this idea with expungement. Well, you know, I can get expunged. You know, like in, in Pennsylvania, I mean, you know, there's, there's no expungement for summary offenses, but anything after that, you have to get what's called a governor's pardon, and that's you know, nearly impossible, and it takes years. But, you know, the, and, and, and as long as you have this, uh, this felony on, on your record, you know, you have to notify your employer, they ask you, and you, know, you virtually sometimes become employable. So I think the government has to somehow intervene and either put uh, em- employers in positions where they, you know, are, are mandated to, have to hire these pe- hire people that are convicted felons or create some kind of expungement policy where if it's a nonviolent crime or a first-time offender where they would have for a certain period of time allow to get this felony taken off their record. And, and I think that's important because then if, if that happens, you know, then that individual can, you know, make themselves productive and, you know, do, do important things and, and grow in society rather than going in the reverse. And I feel that that seems to be a critical component of all of this is to have uh, more of a, a an open mind as employers. But we as the public, is there a way that, you know, do we have a role to play here? Do we need to uh, be activists in some way and and really uh, work towards having uh, this changed either with the government or with employers? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, employers in general, associations, I think they have an obligation either with local government, state government, <laughs> to to come together and say, hey, listen, you know, we, we should be hiring a lot of these uh, people that, are, you know, end up being convicted felons for the first time. I mean, have certain rules and regulations or guidelines, but, you know, allow them to, to, to you know, infuse themselves back into society. So, number one, you have to have uh, the ability to earn some kind of income because that, without doing that, and being, you know, and not having any money puts put you in a bad spot because now you have obligations to live up to, and you can't you can't get out of that hole that you're in. So I think when when the employers, the companies, you know, and sometimes these major companies, you know, the, the big major companies that that we all depend on, the WalMarts um, of the world, the, the Starbucks, uh, all these, you know, the, the major companies that we depend on, I think they have to have programs to help. Uh, Help the local uh, governments uh, deal with these issues, and I think you'll see you'll see an enormous uh, change where you won't see as much repeat offenders in society. Now, obviously, there's going to be a, a tier of the population that just you know are, are, are bad people, and then that's again that's why we have the prison system. So, granted, I, I think we've seen that there are what like these bad apples that are going to occur. But you know, thinking in terms of, for for instance, marijuana, which was uh, and is in much of the country still a criminal offense in Washington State, it it is legalized. And so, here's something where someone you know just a few years ago would have been imprisoned. Now, of course, it's not a crime. So what happens actually in that case where someone is sitting in prison right now because of uh, perhaps being caught with marijuana, but now it's not an offense? Yeah, it's an interesting issue. And, you know, it just goes with, with the changing times, you know, um, substance becomes legal. Uh, you know, I mean, you date back to prohibition when it's one point, you know, alcohol was illegal and then it became legal. Um, you know, in this situation, marijuana has evolved, and 
went from you know being an illegal drug to something medically was acceptable to now is being legalized as a uh, social uh, um, you know, substance that is, can be legally used. Um, you know, the laws will change, um, you know, whether they decide to do anything retroactively to people that have been convicted for drug possession or marijuana possession um, and allow them to either be released from jail or maybe, maybe I, I would, I would try to enact laws that obviously would give people who were convicted of, of marijuana possession only and maybe over, like they say, the last five years, an opportunity to get that expunged from the record. Uh, usually possession of marijuana doesn't, doesn't call for jail time, at least the first time. Uh, really where the problem comes in is when you get involved with distribution. But now that the, the substance has become legal, um, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, the politicians are going to really have to lobby a lot and come up with uh, policies that are going to help evolve with, with the changing times of uh, legal marijuana use. Yes. So that that's a, an, an interesting perspective. I wanted to go back to what you were saying uh, in terms of businesses in our communities, in our countries, need to also step up and be supportive of this. I think this might maybe parallel. It's similar, but of course, quite different, where there are programs for for veterans. So they've come out of the military. They obviously, in this case, though, they do have some employable skills. There are companies <laughs> stepping forward to hire them. So we need to do that with the prison population. Some may already have a skill from the past, but, you know, some of them might be young enough, they're high school dropouts. What do we do about that kind of population? Um, you know, perhaps there is a continued upfront cost but we should see that in the long run that'll be beneficial for everyone? You're speaking about companies and, and corporations getting involved with programs for the for the uh, convicted felon population? Is that what you're, you're referring to? Yes. Well, yeah, listen, when, when you mentioned they have, they have programs for veterans, you know, veterans kind of have a tag that, you know, they've just served their country and, you know, there's somewhat of a heroic uh, label on them. So, you know, it, it's easy to tell companies to put programs together and say, that, hey, we're supporting the veterans. In fact, they want to step out to the public and say, hey, we support the vets because it kind of gives them a, a uh, you know, a, a popular moniker. In this, on the flip side, you know, to get companies to go out to the public and say, hey, we have a, a program where we support felons, you know, first-time offenders, we employ them, you know, it's kind of a balance because then you're going to have this part of the public that who, you know, have... Um, their good fortune having been involved in the, in the criminal system, and they look down on them. And I, I, I think it takes a, con, a concerted effort uh, politically um, and with, a, you know, a large population of these companies have to come together and programs have to be enacted. And I think, these, you know, I don't think the corporations are going to do it on their own because they don't really want to. I think it's going to, it's going to be more of a political effort. It's going to be an enactment by the state where they're going to have to do something because it, it is a problem where a lot of these first offenders, when either either they have a conviction, they don't serve any time, but they still have a conviction, or they get out on a short jail sentence, you know, it's very, very difficult for them to find a job. Um, And some of these crimes, again, as I say, um, they may be minor in nature, or again, even if they are felonies, uh, nonviolent crimes, they're not expungible. So they they remain on your record. And, And I've seen, you know, people for the longest time find it very difficult to find jobs and you know nobody really wants that wants to help and and the, again 
it starts with the government. The government has to change the laws, has to enact laws to make it easier for these people to deal with it. Yes, and I think that's where we just, as a society, need to have a broader opening in our minds towards this is to not have a broad brushstroke against everyone with a felony conviction, is to really be able to take a case-by-case look at this and and realize how can you real do you want this person to virtually rot in prison and we're paying for that or is there a way to use those monies to provide education and integrate them into society yeah listen i agree and a lot of these especially the young people that you know people once they're 18 i mean now they're treated as an adult 18 19 20 years old and they find themselves you know they're immature they make mistakes and they get themselves into a situation, and next thing you know, they're they're charged with a crime for whatever reason, their own fault. And you know, sometimes the it becomes insurmountable to get out of that problem. And if they had the help and the assistance to rehabilitate, to become employed, to inject themselves back into society, I think that a lot of those people would do great. You know, because we've all made mistakes in our, especially as young people. And in terms, some of it, so they are young people, they have perhaps been, uh, what, high school dropouts, for instance. The prison uh, situation doesn't provide education any longer, or at least it's my understanding in the past that was available and doesn't occur now? No, I mean, there's very limited resources in prisons. They, They try to make programs available. They're not the greatest. I don't think there's much uh, focus or, or resources put into it. Um, you know, prison is usually prison. You know, you get incarcerated. And at that point, you know, it just becomes a, a perpetual time to, to serve your time and, and to hopefully, you know, get paroled out as soon as possible. There, there's not, it doesn't become a, uh, a place where you can change your life for the better. It, it, it's very difficult. And so, again, as an attorney, seeing it from, uh, I think, a really different perspective, uh, knowing the legal system, uh, if you were able to, you know, kind of have a magic wand, so to speak, and say, this is how we change that piece of it, what would you see happening uh, when money is not even limited? Well, I, I think you have to look at the prison population as a whole. And you have to say to yourself, you know, who can we let out? And and I think you have to put the, the right people, the right parole people in there to analyze, you know, each individual inmate or prisoner and say, hey, are these first-time offenders versus are these people repeat offenders? Are they violence, nonviolence? Is it what kind of is it drug possession versus are these people drug salespeople? And take a look at that and then begin, begin to, to weed out the people that obviously come to the top of the list and, and get them back out in society, you know, get them employed. Um, give them opportunities to rehabilitate. If they're if they're drug addicts, which is a whole other problem, you know, I, w- I would spend the monies creating the better facilities that can treat addiction. Because a lot of times facilities you have to pay out of your own pocket. Families don't have the money, and I think that would solve a lot of it immediately. You know, and then I think you have to kind of revamp the a lot of the laws as far as sentencing. Um, and give opportunities for a lot of crimes where you would normally call for jail time, maybe probation, and give them give these individuals opportunities to kind of turn their life around. And then I think you have to again you have to lobby a lot of these. 
state and local politicians. They have to change the laws as far as expungement. <laughs> um, uh, getting if, if you're convicted of a crime, having an opportunity for a period of time to get that taken off your record, um, that has to be enacted. And, you know, at, at that point, uh, if those things are accomplished, I think you'll see, you'll see a better change. Most, uh, you know, crime and people get worried, you know, you let prisoners out of, out of prison, there's going to be more crime in society. That's necessarily true. It's usually the repeat offenders. And I, and I, and I think it, those repeat offenders have to be analyzed and you have to get the, the, the capable people in each state that are reviewing the records, the right parole people. And I think with that balance, you know, you'll see a change. And so in your role as an attorney, have you personally then dealt with someone who perhaps has had been a first-time offender, has been incarcerated, but has been able to be let out and is able to get themselves on a good path and have a better better life now? It happens. I mean, you know, it's the individual. You have to have that type of personality to want to overcome, you know, the bad times and, and, you know, obstacles, but not every individual is like that. Sometimes people, when they're, you know, first-time offenders, they find themselves incarcerated. They need the support, you know. They need uh, people to, to, to either uh, to talk to, to work with, um, to help them kind of turn their life around. And then, you know, again, they need the opportunity to find themselves back in the community and being productive, and again, some people just have that ability because they're, you know, they will persevere through the bad times. And some people just don't have that in their in their DNA to overcome, you know, the hardships. And sometimes they just kind of swallow up into bad times, and it just becomes worse, and they find themselves into another situation. So it's a balance. You know, that's all I can say. Uh, well, which is totally a, a fair statement. Uh, but I think going back to the point where you said, you know, doing this on a case-by-case basis, that's where we're going to see uh, more success and begin to see results. And I think bottom line, it takes each of us to become more informed and maybe become our own uh, kind of lobbyist and, and work to make changes in our society. I think so. It starts from, from the top to the bottom. I mean, whoever whoever controls the prison systems, uh, you have to have people that are competent and smart and have these ideas, and then they and they got to hire people in, in the prison system uh, that manage these these prisons and and have ideas on on what we're talking about today, and then you know locally in, in government, um, you know politically, um, the lawmakers have to make adjustments so that uh, you know. Everything we just talked about can can be dealt with, can be worked out, and you know you, you got to force you got to force business involved too. I mean, you got to get you got to get them involved. You got to get these people employed. You know, and I think if people are employed, you know, and they have an opportunity that, that they'll turn their life around and they'll get themselves on the right path. But if you don't give them this opportunity and you deny them that, it makes it sometimes almost impossible. <laughs> exactly. Well, I certainly do appreciate your. Uh, being with us, giving us your time, Mr. Marone. It's been most informative, and I feel that uh, we have things that we can do and and get busy. So many thanks for your time and your expertise. Uh, My pleasure. It was great talking to you, and I hope to talk to you in the future. Excellent. Thanks so greatly. And there is the crime report that came out early December of 2016. That 
link can be found uh, in the podcast section of warm1069.com. Just look under Sunday mornings. Look for this interview, Joseph Marone, and you will find more details, including the link for the crime report. You can find more details. You can find the full report and see how each of us can be more informed and really work and act to make a change, make a difference, and make this a less incarcerated and more productive society.